Hey friends, this is John. I'm one of the pastors of the Open Door Church. Today's podcast is a special one. It is um, the sermon given by Kyle Webster. Kyle is uh, one of our elders and a survivor of sexual abuse uh, perpetrated by the church. Um, Definitely something that needs to be talked about more, not on the news, um, not on podcasts, uh, but in the church. And we're doing that. And it's not easy. And so this is a, a bit of a trigger warning. But really, what his sermon is about is, is the incredible forgiveness um, that he has been able to find in his life toward those, um, those who hurt him. It's an incredible message. I'm looking forward to you being able to hear it if you weren't there this past Sunday. Now, this was recorded outside at Garfield Community Farm, where we have been having worship each week um, during the month of May, as long as the weather has been okay. And we're going to continue doing that into June, at least for a few weeks. So stay posted on, on where worship is happening at the farm or at the Neighborhood Academy. You are welcome to come to either place, 10, 10 a.m. every Sunday. That said, uh, the sound quality is far from perfect, so our apologies for that. Um, you'll hear birds chirping, kids playing, and you can kind of tell we don't have uh, a great sound system outside. But I think that it comes across pretty well. Enjoy. Our scripture lesson comes from Matthew 18, 15 through 17, and 21 through 22. Listen for the word of the Lord. If your brother or sister sins against you, go and point out the fault when the two of you are alone. If you are listening to, you have regained that one. But if you are not listened to, take one or two others among with you, so that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If that person refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if the offender refuses to listen even to the church, let such a one be to you like a Gentile or a tax collector. Then Peter came and said to him, Lord, if my brother or sister sins against me, how often should I forgive? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, not seven times, but I tell you, 77 times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I invite uh, Kyle uh, for our, our elder and preacher for this morning. Hey everyone, um, I'm gonna start by saying, oh, oh, that doesn't go up. Oh, great. So I'm just gonna awkwardly hold this and probably read almost directly from it. Um, I'm Kyle Webster. I'm an elder here at the Open Door. Um, I've been going to the church for about two and a half years. Most of you do not know me because me and my husband started coming here during COVID. Um, and now you're about to know a lot about me and you don't know where I live or what my middle name is. So I'm just gonna acknowledge that. Also, I feel like I don't recognize the people here, which means that you're probably new. 
please do not judge the preaching of this church by today. <laughs> I am someone who can public speak on many topics. I've spoken at a White House forum on eviction. That is my comfort place. I am not good at speaking about myself. Um, and I'm about to spend the next 15 minutes speaking about myself. Uh, so this is an uncomfortable place for me and something I have never done before. Um, so bear with me. Also, I was supposed to do this last week and then my husband got COVID. Um, but we're here today, so thank you all for being accommodating to that. Um, I'm here today to talk about two things, radical forgiveness and what it means to truly be a church community. One that is open to being wrong and critiqued and values honesty, love, and truly being a safe shelter for all over reputation, wealth, and power. But before I begin, I wanna let you know that I'll be talking pretty candidly about childhood sexual trauma. If this is an issue, I've been there. I've personally walked out of talks and movies before because of this topic. So absolutely no judgment from me and no offenses taken if any of you need to get up and leave now or at any point during this talk. It seriously, it's not an issue. I've done it myself. I started writing this sermon years ago, but I truly began putting pen to paper, knowing my audience on a day I read the historical marker in Grassmarket, Edinburgh, Scotland, that identifies the public execution of over 100 Presbyterians over a matter of years for practicing their faith. Perspective matters. I'm here today because God has given me a certain grace that has allowed me to achieve forgiveness. I've had a very good life. I was raised by parents who loved me and who had the privilege, work ethic, income, and passion to provide my sisters and I with a consistent roof over our heads, food on our table, and excellent educations to ensure our access to success and opportunity. I'm a cisgender white guy who went to private schools and had college paid for me. I am the first member of my family to get a doctorate, but I still had access to a doctorate and me pursuing a law degree was not seen as overcoming any sort of adverse odds. I've had the privilege of dealing with my past trauma and reconciling it because everything else about my life is pretty dang privileged. All that being said, for between one and two years of my life, from the age of about nine to the age of about 11, I was sexually abused multiple times by the youth minister slash music teacher and music minister at Holy Spirit Catholic Church and school in Annandale, Virginia. I was not this man's first victim and I was not his last victim. He died in prison in 2006 following a conviction for doing to two boys in Georgia what he did to me in Virginia. He was caught after he was reassigned to Florida and the two boys came forward. Before that, he was fired mid-year in Virginia from my church and moved to Maryland where he was fired abruptly before moving to Georgia. Over 10 years, he spent two or less years in six different dioceses. A diocese is like a synod or a presbytery or whatever. I don't know what word we use in the presbyterians. Um, each time being fired abruptly with minimal record of what happened. In the face of such a cruel act of violence, both from the perpetrator and from the church that kept his acts silent, can one find forgiveness? Can I find forgiveness? I also just want to acknowledge having this as like a safety thing would be so nice, but that's okay. <laughs> Leaning into making me uncomfortable today. <laughs> as Jesus hung on the cross, experiencing the physical, the deepest physical pain of his life, nails piercing his flesh, his body hanging from exposed bone and muscle, his side opened and his head adorned with sharp thorns, Luke reports that he shouted, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. 
And as he did so, those for whom he asked forgiveness cast lots for his clothing, his last remaining possessions on earth. This passage is hard to comprehend. How can Jesus forgive? Yet this is the empire-destroying radical heart of the gospel. Jesus did not choose violence, but chose forgiveness, and by doing so, revealed the deceptions of violence that had misled too many people. My faith has been saved, saved several times. I often say I am a Christian today in spite of the church and not because of it. In 2008, I finally began confronting, assessing, and addressing my past. Context, I'm 39, so you can do some math. Um, the Christian activist Shane Claiborne played a major role in this time in my life. For those unfamiliar, Shane Claiborne is a leading figure in the new monasticism movement and was previously based in Philadelphia where he ran the simple way. Like most people, he has not always been consistent and his stances have developed over time. But he has always had a refreshing power to speak a certain type of truth that I respect and have been drawn to. I'd like to read an excerpt from his book, Jesus for President, on the topic of radical forgiveness. Do you remember how the Amish responded to the act of terror in their school when a gunman killed five Amish children in 2006? Our friend Diana Butler Bass wrote an article pontificating what the world would look like if the Amish had led us after September 11th. Consider their response to the murders, uh, a response that fascinated the world. With the first week after the shootings, the Amish families who had suffered such terror responded in four ways that captured the world's attention. First, some elders visited Marie Roberts, the wife of the murderer, to offer forgiveness. Then, the families of the slain girls invited the widow to their own children's funerals. Next, they requested that all relief money intended for the Amish families be shared with Miss Roberts and her children. And finally, in an astonishing act of reconciliation, dozens of Amish families attended the funeral of the killer. Diana goes on to share that she talked with her husband about the spiritual power of these actions, commenting, it is an amazing witness to the peace tradition. And her husband looked at her and said passionately, witness? I don't think so. This went well past witnessing. They weren't witnessing to anything. They were actively making peace. Her article ends with these words as she reflected on that truth. Their actions not only witness that the Christian God is a God of forgiveness, but they actively created the conditions in which forgiveness could happen. In the most straightforward way, they embarked on imitating Christ. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. In acting as Christ, they did not speculate on forgiveness. They forgave. And forgiveness is, as Christianity teaches, the prerequisite to peace. We forgive because God forgave us. In forgiving, we participate in God's dream of reconciliation and shalom. Nine-year-old Kyle, in all his awkward beauty and innocence, experienced excruciating emotional, physical, and psychological pain. What happened to me was wrong, and I did not deserve it. But as I have journeyed towards healing, I recognize the man who abused me was mentally ill. In my adult brain, it is easy for me to forgive him because he truly did not know what he was doing. But as an adult, I have also had to face the even more challenging reality that I had to learn to forgive the other adults who looked the other way. The priest who fired Mr. Cassidy upon murmurs of his actions in the middle of the night. The teachers who worried that something was going on but didn't feel comfortable, comfortable intervening. When I first came public, 
Many teachers told me who it was that abused me. They knew it immediately. The principal who didn't ask questions for fear of her job, or worse yet, causing harm to the church. How do we forgive these people? How do I forgive these people? You see, that is why it is important for me to share my story in this community, in my Christian community, in a Christian community. This wasn't just one bad actor who was ill and sinned and needs forgiveness. What happened to me occurred because there existed, and in many ways still exists, a system and community that avoided asking questions and chose to look the other way or ignore what they were seeing right in front of them. The church has the ability to show up and support one another, but we as the church also have the capacity to do great harm when we don't. In this situation, the leaders of the church allowed reputation to supersede intervention and doing what was right. This is not the venue I was intending to give this sermon. Back in the summer of 2018, I went public about being a survivor of sexual abuse at the hands of the Catholic Church. Those closest to me were well aware, as I hadn't really kept it quiet prior to then, but following over a decade of being ignored by my childhood diocese on this issue, despite several calls and emails from me, I posted a lengthy Facebook post describing what I had survived. It got the diocese's attention because dozens of people called them. And within two weeks, I was down in Virginia meeting with the bishop. I was asked at that time what I needed, and I simply asked for an apology, which I kind of got with only mild pushback. The bishop actually said to me, we don't control employees before apologizing and saying he believed me. I hadn't really contemplated the impact my story would have. I am a successful attorney at the pinnacle of my field, very humble, of course, um, and with an incredible <laughs> husband. Who don't, who, those who don't know Tony, you should. I live in a great house and live an adventure li uh, adventurous, happy life. I am not the poster child for childhood sexual assault. I had hundreds of people from my past reach out expressing their sorrow over my story and their disbelief. Many people indicated the guilt they were carrying since reading it. This is what led to me and Tony heading down to Austin, Texas in the summer of 2019 to see one of my childhood best friends, Tom, who I hadn't seen in roughly 15 years. As we sat together with our spouses at a brewery catching up, he appeared to start tearing up and said, I wish I had known. I wish I had protected you. I pointed out that he was my closest male friend at the time. And he was 10. <laughs> he did what he was supposed to do. And he protected me in the way a child is supposed to protect a child, by helping me escape. After this trip and upon further reflection, I asked for two additional things from the Arlington Diocese. $10,000 to reimburse my father for the counseling he paid for, and the opportunity to speak at my childhood church, the Community of Holy Spirit Catholic Church, during a Sunday Mass. I wanted to address a community that I knew, a community that raised me, a community that failed me. I knew at the time that dozens of families from my childhood still attended that church, including Tom's parents, and many carried similar guilt. I wanted to let them all know that whatever role they played, whether it be one of knowing indifference, general ignorance, or legitimate lack of knowledge, I forgive them. I wanted those in leadership to know that they too were forgiven for what they had done and what those before them had done. But I also wanted to challenge them. Standing there at the altar, 
facing the balcony, one of the many places in that building and the school across the parking lot where young Kyle was abused. And highlighting that once I named his sin and the pain he caused me, it was easy to forgive Mr. Cassidy. It was those around him, the adults who enabled this, who covered it up, who chose protecting the church's reputation and their jobs over protecting who knows how many children, including myself. These were the people I struggled to forgive. I wanted to share my story where my story happened. And I wanted Christ to somehow use me to offer grace and mercy, but not without a call to action and a call to do better. That week, I received a check for $10,000 from the Arlington Diocese. And I was told that it was deemed inappropriate to allow me to speak out of in, out an interest of protecting children. To be fair, I was offered the opportunity to speak at an invitation-only Saturday event, so long as the church could vet my words, and it was a standalone, invite-only, adult-only event. So here I stand, in front of my church community, most of whom don't really know this part of my story. You all are a surrogate for the church community I desire to address today. But in a way, the audience is the broader church community beyond just the bounds of where I attended. Because we know that my story is not unique and sadly, it is not special. It is common and it stretches well beyond the denominational bounds of Catholic and Presbyterian. I've spoken of the radical example Jesus set for forgiveness in the Bible, but I've also discussed that we have similarly radical examples playing out right here in Pennsylvania. And those outlying extreme examples are a much higher bar than what I'm even talking about. In Matthew 6, 14 to 15, Jesus says, for, in you, for if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. And in Luke 6, 37, he states, do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Every day in my work, I have the privilege of helping hundreds of people. I also fail dozens. That's part of life and part of trying to do this work. I was failed by very specific leaders at Holy Spirit Catholic Church and in the Arlington Diocese. I was failed by a Christian church in America that was far more concerned with its reputation than with protecting children. Even once it was public, reputation outweighed their desire to truly deal with the past. What does it mean to allow ourselves to acknowledge our failures? What power is there in repentance and forgiveness? Frankly, the power to change. The confession of sins and forgiveness isn't something that's just cute that we do here on Sunday mornings. It is our lifeline. It is our blood. It is only when we constantly reflect, evaluate, and seek the forgiveness of God that we have a chance to be the community we are called to be. I had originally planned on naming the folks I forgive at this point, but I'm not sure that that's necessary because of the why of this has changed so drastically over the course of my writing it. I do forgive Ken Cassidy, the single individual I know the least who has had the most profound and lifelong impact on me. But I also forgive those who played far more damaging roles in my story. Everyone who worked at or attended Holy Spirit back in the early 90s, I forgive them. 
And anyone here who has doubted a story like mine out of self-preservation, or has assumed that there must be more to the story because the church just wouldn't do that, I forgive you. Not because I'm some uniquely grace-filled individual, but because Jesus has given me that grace and that calling. A grace he has also given you. A grace of radical forgiveness to forgive the unforgivable. I am who I am today, not because of the church, but in spite of the church. But I'm still here. I'm not some jaded ex-Christian who believes the church should be destroyed, which would be justified. And let me tell you, I do believe that there is some intense destruction and rebuilding that needs to happen in the church. And I'm not someone who attends a church out of some sort of obligation. I'm a queer, progressive man who sees this Christian thing as important enough to thread it throughout my life and even serve as an elder. I want to be here because it's the moral and spiritual foundation that I need in my life to truly thrive. And I want so desperately for the church to actually be that. And we can. First, we need to find the forgiveness that only God can grant, and then we need to truly reflect and confess so we can break all that is wrong with the church and build a brighter future. The church in America is a cause of such pain, but it should be the exact opposite. My challenge here today is one of radical forgiveness. A forgiveness that can transform. A forgiveness that can make us the open, honest, transparent community God would have us be. This isn't a uniquely Presbyterian or even Christian calling. My ethics, my morals, my faith informs me that all of humanity is called to a radical form of forgiveness. Forgiveness feels like this impossible task Jesus has charged us to do in this world. But it is through this impossible task that we, the universal and communal we can change the world. Amen. Thanks so much for joining us here on the podcast by listening, but you can join us live in person um, any Sunday. You can also listen in or join in via Zoom. You can find that info on our website, pghopendoor.net. Have a great week, everybody.